They're humans. So therefore, the way that we do marketing has to be in alignment with our expectations. You cannot quite say, okay, during the day, they're humans, but when they engage with me, well, they're really buildings. So let's do some, you know, boring marketing. Let's do some assets that are like, you know, super long. Um, you know, it's important that, you know, we keep in, in mind that it's, uh, you know, it's again, it's, it's a human. Mariana, welcome to Lead Tell TV, and thank you so much for being here today. I'm I'm really excited to be able to to talk with you and chat with you a little bit here. Thank you so much. No, thank you. I'm looking forward to the conversation. Good, me too. Me too. So let's kick it off. I know you know you've worked in startups as well as large enterprise. Um, what are some of the differences you see between the two environments as as a senior marketer? Now, uh, you know, I'm sure you've seen the gamut. Uh, and there's such different and yet probably some similarities at the same time, um, you know, environments. What what do you think about that? Let me start with um, the similarities, because at the end of the day, in both places, you're looking to move the needle. You're really looking to make sure that marketing is delivering, um, it's supporting our sales teams, it's being customer centric. So no matter where you work. I really think that it's about, you know, moving the needle, the needle through uh, alignment, ownership, and accountability. That has to happen everywhere. You know, you have to be customer centric, thinking about your customer first. Um, that said, there are a lot of differences, especially you know, as as a marketeer, um, startups. You're really getting into this category creation. So there's a lot of, um, you know, education. You're really helping your customers to understand that they have a problem that you can solve for them. But you have to start from really getting them to see the problem that they have that they might not even know that they have. Because you're building a category, you're creating your, you know, you're getting your first uh, customers, your first supporters. You know, and then you are, you know, you're you're getting them and leading them through uh, through growth. You're getting into hyper growth because when you have one and you go to two, is at a hundred percent. You go to five, you go to ten, you go to a hundred. You know, the um, the um, the growth is just very exponential. Different to that, when you're working for very large organizations, it is much more about uh, growth through scalability. You're not going to be able to deliver growth on an organization that is building already, you know, $1 billion, $2 billion because you got one more deal, because you got, you know, 10 more leads. It's really not that conversation. By now, as a, as a marketeer, you are really much more building programs. You're building strong alignment with sales because, you know, um, in a startup, you might be just selling one product or two, three products that are relatively similar. Um, in a large organization, you can have 300 products and they are sold to different people. And you have a very different buying group. Or maybe you don't even have a buying group. 
It's all this combination is much more of a matrix um, set up. So the alignment is, um, it's more complex because there are many more players in the conversation. It's more about programs that are going to be delivering, you know, large numbers. It's about really, um, you know, market share because these tend to be more mature markets where you want to make sure that you're taking care of your prospects, but also your existing customers. So it's a little bit of a different game because you're looking more into that scalability that rather than hyper growth. But at the end of the day, as a marketeer, you are representing the voice of your customer. You are making sure that everything that happens in the organization is in alignment with your customer so that you can be customer, you know, centric, but that I would say that is kind of the similarities and then the differences. Both of them are exciting. I, I know working in both. Mm. You're a rare, uh, rare breed of person who likes both. I don't hear, get to hear that a lot where somebody prefer, no, normally they prefer one over the other. Um, although the, I can see exactly what you're saying. And, and, and also it's interesting because you also come with a manufacturing uh, background and I'm curious about that too. You know, in terms of what some some of the unique challenges are of working in the manufacturing sector, especially you know with a technical product that that enables the manufacturing process. So manufacturing is a little bit different in the sense that first of all, you're going to be selling to um, to a persona that you might not be very comfortable with because it's not like you. Um, you're getting into a very technical, you know, conversations. Um, you can be, you know, in the case of Hexagon, we touch from um, hardware, big devices, you know, software. You're covering such a, you know, multitude of different products, but with a common denominator that, yes, it is a much more technical, um, you know, technical persona that you have to make sure that you're not making assumptions about, you know, your customers and your prospects. Um, that you understand what type of content they engage with, that you understand where do they hang out, that you really continue that, you know, that first question that you were asking me, that you really continue being customer-centric. You had to be producing content that is of the quality that, you know, your customers are going to validate because you're not going to be, in a sense, a writer. You're not a persona that normally, um, you know, buys these, te these technologies uh, but at the same time, it's a very exciting space because, you know, you have much more meat to be producing, you know, assets and experiences because, you know, it is manufacturing, you're building things. And it's really exciting, you know, when I explain to, to people that, you know, hexagon is in the metrology, um, you know, space. So if you think about a piece of paper, we measure it and it has a width of a hundred microns. Some of the technologies that Hexagon produces measures to less than one micron. So how do you have that conversation that it is highly technical because in order to measure to that level of precision and quality, it's highly, highly technical. But at the same time, you have to balance it with the, with the fact that you're solving a problem. You're delivering value. Because if you don't measure correctly, if you don't have the right, you know, quality, you're going to be creating waste. 
there's going to be less sustainability. You're going to be, you know, having all these different challenges. So how do you balance that conversation? It's always a challenge. You can be so technical that it's very on the bottom of the funnel for an end user that is being continually buying the same technology. But you're also going to be talking about these value conversations. So um, that is something that is unique when you're selling in the manufacturing space. But now with all these, you know, virtual, you know, manufacturing floors, there's so many more things that a marketeer can do um, that is very exciting. Uh, you know, um, the, you're right. It, it is kind of neat because you get to actually work on something and see it from start to finish and then see somebody actually use it, which is which is so, uh, you know, and hold it in your hand and, and actually, uh, you know, really appreciate the work that went into it, um, which speaks to the human side. And that's one of my favorite, favorite sides of the whole thing. Um, having written a book called the human to human, it's, there's a, it's my biggest fascination with all of business. I know it is yours too. Uh, and I'm curious how you can make, uh, marketing initiatives humanized, you know, especially with, um, with what you're doing there in the manufacturing process, um, you know, you're dealing with highly technical products, but to put it another way, how do you put the customer at the center of your marketing efforts when they are human? Uh, that's what they, they desire is, is being treated like that. So what, what do you think about that? Huge, huge fun of the human to human component. I really think that into, in the, that the B2B space shouldn't even be called B2B because there is not one building selling to another building. It's really humans who work in a, in a building, in a business, selling or, you know, engaging with another human. And that is a portion that sometimes we tend to forget about in the B2B space, especially when it comes to, to manufacturing. It's very easy to assume that because these are larger companies, because the technology is complex, that you're selling to, to a building but you're selling to a human being. When you're talking about that persona that is more technical, it is a person that it's engaging throughout the day with Amazon.com, with Netflix.com. They're humans. So therefore, the way that we do marketing has to be in alignment with their expectations. You cannot quite say, okay, during the day they're humans, but when they engage with me, well, they're really buildings. So let's do some, you know, boring marketing. Let's do some assets that are like, you know, super long. Um, you know, it's important that, you know, we keep in, in mind that it's, a, you know, it's again, it's, it's a human. It's a human that has aspirations. It's a human that wants to make sure that, you know, the work as we were just talking in, in manufacturing, that it's quality, there are no problems. Um, and all that is something that as marketeers, we always need to have um, in mind, especially when we're talking about how do we deliver the right content to the right person at the right time, is because we're thinking about a human. Where do these people hang out? Let's not make assumptions, you know, let's humanize an experience. A website, let's make sure that is, you know, it's in alignment to, you know, the expectations that the B2C space has. I think that that, that, that gap between B2B and B2C is going to continue shrinking because both of them are really human to human. 
but we are uh, we are of this of though the same mindset for sure. Um, in fact, you just said that the title of my book, there's no B2B or B2C, it's H to H. Um, they, so I can tell uh, we would get along in, and have a very long chat about this uh, this topic right here. Um, well, it's, it's, not, it's, it's really important. Sometimes there's a tendency, and again, going back to your first question, we're asking about the difference between you know startup and a large organization. Sometimes in large organizations, it's a little bit of, uh, you know, easy to forget about, you know, about the fact that we're not selling into a large enterprise just because it's a larger deal that is sold into a larger enterprise. It doesn't mean that it's a building to building. It's a still a human, you know, a human to human, um, you know, conversation. It really means that, you know, you, you have to really even change the way that you speak. You know, um, we, you know, it's uh, when you think about, you know, keywords. Keywords are important because it allows to design content in a way that we can be discovered. And isn't it nice when you're looking, you have a problem, you go on Google, um, social media, you name it, and you're trying to solve it, to put your keywords, and the solution shows up in a way that is really consumable that is, you know, snackable by now, that's when you're getting into, into really being thinking about your consumer first, your customer at the center, and it's because it's human to human. And, uh, see, there it is. We're, we're going to have to get to know each other even more now. You just, uh, you, you just made that, that uh, um, something that I know we're, we're going to have to set up. Um, you know, I, I also want to just to deviate a little bit in terms of how you see technologies like generative AI or augmented reality uh, impacting the way you know that um, you know everything's going to interact with customers, I know this is something you're passionate about. What what are your thoughts there? I think it's gonna be a tool to get us to be even more human. Because if you think about it, we were just talking about this technical persona. The content is more technical, but we need to humanize it. But we, it doesn't really mean that we are diluting the quality of the technical conversation. By now, a lot of these technologies are allowing for many more people to be able to write in a more you know, human-friendly, customer-centric, you know, manner. And for marketing teams, I think it's going to be almost that transition that we saw happening in manufacturing when automation, you know, happened, or even in marketing, marketing automation. Everything started to be much more, you know, process-driven. We could do many more things um, in a more efficient and an effective um, way. It is almost like the next layer of, uh, of work that has to happen to really help us to be in a more efficient and effective way to be more personalized, to be more human, to write in a way that, that really connects. And the artificial intelligence is already there. It's already telling us, you know, I did some work a couple of years um, back on, you know, what is that, that AI component that let us write the best email to send it at the right time to the right person, 
and this is now being you know taken to the next uh, to the next level but we would allow for many more of those technical conversations to be much more human to be able to be you know much more personal because it provides that next um, next horizon on leveraging technology to accomplish you know many more things from a marketing perspective that you know not so long ago it would have taken us too much time but it's going to be that's going to be a shift uh, you know some content creators it's going to be more about how are you really creating how are you thinking about you know you know all these um components you know one of the projects that i have going on right now it's um created creating the content organization of the future where it's almost like an Airbnb where you say is the largest hotel chain, but it doesn't have, you know, hotels or Uber, the largest taxi company, but they don't really, you know, own any cars. Similar to that from a content perspective, especially in a large organization, much more of that democratization of the content creation that is more human, that is less of coming from the, the corporation, but is actually built from everybody as a community. In order to do that, we need to leverage new technologies like that. Yeah. Yeah. Isn't it? It's not an and. It's not an or. It's an and. Uh, and the more that we can work together to make, to humanize um, and scale, the better off we're going to be. You agree? Yeah. And, and it's, um, it's um, being in, in, in peace or being in, in, in synchronization with the fact that it's going to allow us to go to places that we're, where we haven't been rather than feeling like, oh my God, is this going to be doing my work? No, it's not. Because now you're doing, adding value in a different way. That's the way that I see it. Uh, beautiful. Now, this is going to be the toughest question of them all. I'm kidding, of course. Uh, you were born in Mexico, but yeah. grew up in Japan, which, by the way, is my uh, minor in college is Japanese. Um, but don't ask me to speak it because it's been so many years. Um, you even hosted a Japanese TV show at one point, which is just that just like gets me. I got to know more about that. Tell us about that multicultural experience and how does that impact you today? It was a long time ago when I had a TV show in Japan, yes. So as you mentioned, I'm born in Mexico, but I grew up in Mexico in a Japanese school. Then I lived in Japan for 11 years, so a lot of years with the Japanese culture. Um, and then the Mexican component. Um, I think it allows, it allows me to be uh, more open to the diversity of the world where you almost take for granted that people are going to be different, that everybody's got different ideas. If you think from a diversity and inclusion, you know, the more that you can create a table where, you know, everybody can have different opinions. That's what is almost second to your nature when you, when you grow up in different, um, in different cultures, uh, being okay with, with the fact that there's going to be some ideas that at the beginning are like, what is this person talking about? but providing a space for the idea to develop because we know that, you know, more diverse companies deliver, you know, better results and companies that are more innovative are more diverse. You know, we by now have proven all that connection. So a portion of that is being open to, to new ideas. 
And then there's also the component of uh, applying a lot of the, uh, you know, Japanese uh, philosophies to how I do business from the partnership with my vendors, um, from how do I get alignment. The Japanese are huge in making sure that everybody's working together. And again, when you work in very large organizations that are more complex, you got to make sure that everybody comes um, together. You know, we all, we all have say that if you want to go fast, we'll by, go by yourself. But if you want to go further, you know, you have to come go with everybody. And a lot of the Japanese, you know, philosophies allow you to, uh, to align with people, allow you to be, you know, humble. If you think from a Kaizen perspective, let's get something out there. Let's try things. Let's go improving it. So all those sort of things come together when you have an unusual background as a Mexican who grew up very closely to the Japanese culture. Hey. What would you say is the number one challenge or difference or, or thing that you didn't expect about the Japanese culture that's different than maybe the American culture or the Mexican culture? That is a complicated question to answer because I grew up in, in Mexico in a Japanese school. So I grew up in a very Japanese um, environment. Maybe what is very surprising to people is the fact that the Latin culture, the Japanese culture are not as different. Um, we sometimes make some assumptions and on one being more like a louder and the other one being more quiet. But both cultures are, are similar and looking for that, you know, harmony, um, that alignment. It's almost first about getting to know each other and then it comes to uh, the business, uh, the transactional components. So um, they are very similar and that's almost a, a big surprise for everybody. That is a big surprise. Yeah. Wow. So there you go. I uh, I never would have known that had we not talked. Thank you. Thank you for for that. And um, that's that's a, a, a wrap. I, I could spend all day talking to you. I've got so many different avenues we can go down, but I want to hold you uh, hostage. Thank you for spending time on Leadtail TV and and uh, sharing your time and and um, and knowledge with us. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me over. Really enjoyed the conversation. Anytime you want to talk about human to human, um, you know you can come in. I can tell. I'm, I'm going to count on it. Thank you. <laughs>